podcast and uh, just getting to know and build a relationship with Dr. Larry here, but uh, he's just a, a very fascinating man, and God has done some great things in him and his wife, Judy. Judy's over here. You want to give us a wave? And we're just really privileged to have them here with us today, and it seems like the Lord is, is directing their steps to be with us in the, in the days ahead. We're just super excited. Um, one of the things about Dr. Larry uh, that you may, may know or may not know, he actually has authored, I think, 60 books himself, and he's also a ghostwriter for many other Christian, you know, leaders and pastors, and I don't know how many books you've been a part of with that. You might say something about that. I don't know, but um, he has uh, really great working knowledge of the Hebrew and the Greek language, which I'm really excited about because I want to hang out with him and learn some more of that. Uh, as you know, I love, I love learning that too, but I'm just uh, really excited to have God speaking today through uh, our brother, Dr. Larry. So let's welcome Dr. Larry as he comes to share with us. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you so much. I want to, uh, first of all, give honor where honor is due, and so we gather in the name of Jesus Christ to honor and glorify him, right? I want to give honor to Tim and his family and the leaders of this church. Thank you for the invitation to be here. Of course, I want to honor my wife, and uh, it's so good to have her with me. She's followed and traveled with me all over the world, and um, she's put up with a lot, so she needs a lot of honor. Uh, and prayers, you know, pray for her. Um, there is a command in the New Testament that says, this is a mandate. There are a number of imperatives. You know what an imperative verb is. Go, look, listen. Those are imperative verbs. And they're all over the scriptures. One imperative phrase in the New Testament, and when it's an imperative thing, it is a must-do. Say must-do. Must Encourage one another. Amen. We never live alone. And the important thing about the Fellowship of Christ, and I love the fact that you're doing the connect groups, the life groups. We called them in one of my churches, koinonia. That's the New Testament word for fellowship groups. And the fellowshipping of one another encourages us in the Lord, right? And we need the encouragements of one another. Another word that we use contemporarily in the five love languages is um, affirming words, right? And we need those encouraging, infirming, affirming words with each other. And we need it all the time. Uh, I mean, you can just go up to somebody at church, and I just freely tell you you can do this because the Lord loves this kind of stuff. You can go up to someone and say, I need an encouraging word today. Go, you know, and just let them. Start encouraging you. It's, it's a good thing to ask for that. It's another good thing to listen to the Holy Spirit as you're coming into worship because he will, if you're willing to listen, give you encouraging words to speak to everyone that he wants you to speak to as you come through. 
So as you come into worship and as you're leaving worship and the time that you're hugging people, I mean, just walk up to somebody and give them an encouraging word. I was called out in McDonald's this week in uh, Birch Run. Is that how I say it? Birch Run? So I go over there a couple times a week really early uh, at like at 5, and I'll get a scrambled egg and a coffee. And they look at me like, but that's all I'm allowed to eat. That's a whole other thing, but I'll talk about that later. So uh, I'm on a paleo-keto type of thing. So, so I get that, and I, and, and I put my headphones on. So all the other distractions are out, and I play instrumental praise and worship music, and I pray, work, and, and, and till about nine or so. So I have like four hours uh, you know, there. Now, I do that a lot at home, but every once in a while, I do it at McDonald's. So there's this corner at McDonald's there. There's one here. I was there this morning, which I call the office space. Do you know what over here at yours? You know, there's a little corner there with one table. There's an electric plug, and you're walled in on three sides. And so you can't be bothered by anybody. And there's a place like that at Birch Run. And so I was there this past week. And uh, this is maybe six or seven weeks I've been doing this. And uh, there's a group, there's always in McDonald's, it seems to be a group of older men that sit around and solve the problems of the world. You know, they just talk about everything. And... um, I don't know what it is with McDonald's and senior coffee and men, older men. I guess they don't have anything else to do early in the morning, so they're talking. And there's one group uh, in McDonald's at Birch Run that I notice is there, you know, virtually every time I'm there. So they must be there like every morning. And they're all sitting there. They're having coffee. Now, there was this one gentleman who must be hard of hearing. Because everything he said, the whole McDonald's could hear. And uh, he was talking about the GD paper that he had to sign and the GD this and the GD that. And if you don't know what GD does, you know, that's okay too. You don't have to know that. It's not a Hebrew or Greek word, by the way. So, and so, and I mean, he is just vocal about this thing. Uh, and I'm, you know, turning up the volume on my praise music. And all of a sudden, I hear this, hey, you in the corner, do you have a voice? And I realized when he said it the second time, hey, you in the corner, you have a voice? It was me. He was talking to. I'm back in the corner. And I guess they noticed that I was there alone and there a lot. And he was wondering, what's this guy doing back there? And I took my headphones out and I said, yes, sir. I have a voice. Bless you. Have a great day. And I put my headphones back on and went back to work. And there was sort of a silence in the McDonald's. And then the Holy Spirit said, oh, that's not good enough. Get up. 
So I walk, you know, took off my headphones, walked over there. Then there's, a, there's eight or nine older gentlemen there. And I said, I am Dr. Larry Kefauver, and I'm a psychologist. If I had told him I was a pastoral psychologist, they, they wouldn't have known what that was. But psychologist is good enough. And I said, I can discern, sir, that you are really irritated about something. And I want you to know that you don't have to be. That you can just be filled with peace today. He looks at me like I have approached the throne of the king and spoken out of turn. And then I just went around. I shook everybody's hand. I introduced myself. They told me their name. I told them uh, uh, my name and just went around, introduced myself, and say, men, have a blessed day. And went back and sat down, put my headphone on, went to work. And then I, the, the gentleman, the, he's 92 years old, by the way, uh, the gentleman told me he had to come all the way across the, as he was leaving. He came all the way across McDonald's, came to my table where I was working, said, I want you to know that I'm an oil man. I own all the oil wells around here. Some of you may know who this gentleman is, 92 years old. And he goes, and I'm going to go spend a bunch of money to buy some more oil wells this morning. It's good to meet you. Well, I said, sir, it's good to meet you. You have a blessed day. And I hope you work out that check and everything you need to work out at the office you're going to. Thank you. And he walks out. Now, that story has only one key element in it that we need to focus on this morning. Because if I was not presence-driven, I am a presence-driven person. And I'm going to share with you what that means this morning on how to live the presence-driven life. And we're going to go pretty quickly because you've got a lot of notes, and we may even have to skip over some of those things because this is derived from a book that I wrote years ago called Inviting God's Presence. And I was asked in Singapore to teach five family camp sessions. The whole church went away uh, for four days for family camp. And, and Naomi Dowdy goes, Larry, I want you to take that book, and I'm going to give you five 45-minute sessions to teach the entire book, Inviting God's Presence. So that forced me to boil it down to the process of presence. Everything God does has a process to it. Now, of course, when you're being changed, conformed, and transformed into the identity of Christ, that process we call sanctification, being conformed to his image. So your entire Christian life, you are in process. Look at the person say, next to you and say, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. True, right? 
That's called process. You're in process. Now, there's a few Christian groups that believe in perfectionation, you know, per- perfectionism is what it's called, which is a psychological problem, by the way. I mean, there's perfectionists around you, and you know it's a psychological problem, and they've made it a theological reality, which doesn't exist because I've met some of them, and they're not perfect yet, even though they say that they've been made perfect. You know, I've met them. Now, I want us to go through a little bit uh, here in Ephesians and Exodus, and this first part of Exodus is a whole message in itself, and I'm going to go through it very quickly just to make some points So you get the idea. Because presence is everywhere. God is omnipresent. He is as much present at McDonald's with people using his name in vain as he is in praise and worship when we're glorifying his name. You understand what I'm saying here? Now, the wonderful thing about that McDonald's that morning was at least one person was a temple of God indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, right, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And the temple of God happened to walk in the place. And the moment I was there, not only was God omnipresence, there was an open channel. There was an open door. There was an open portal of the presence of God flowing in me and through me and immersing the entire place. When you walk into the place, you transform any place into a worship center, a glorification center, You are taking dominion over the land, the atmosphere, and everything in there because you are a king and a priest. Are you okay with me? And he had to notice me. He had to notice me because Jesus Christ had just shown up indwelling the person who wasn't talking in the corner. You know, I I was ignoring them, but at some point they they couldn't stop it. Ignoring me. And I thought that was interesting. In a McDonald's of all places. So let's go to the next slide. So Ephesians 5.18. Paul starts out this particular thought in Ephesians 5. And he says, um, I want you to be discerning of the times that you are in. Because these times are filled with all kinds of stuff. But most of all, God is at work. And as he is talking about discerning what's going on as children of light instead of children of darkness, he says this, be, do not be drunk in wine, but he says, be filled. Now, that's an imperative. That, that's an imperative. Be filled with the Spirit. I want you to understand that while the word be filled could be something like a glass being filled. And that's one of the images or picture images of the word. Something being filled by something else. There's another image of this word that's actually more relevant 
to our understanding today. And that image is a sail being filled by wind. You know that in the Old Testament, the word ruach, which is breath or wind of God, is only used of the breath or the spirit of God. The Old Testament, he's ruach kadosh. He is the Holy Spirit. Ruach, wind, breath of God. In the New Testament, that word is pneuma. The wind of God fills your sails. Let's go to the next slide. So this means that you are a sailboat, not a rowboat. God shows up. What are you doing, Elijah? Of course, he's hiding in a cave on the mountain. But this is what he says. God, I'm trying. I'm rowing as hard as I can row. I'm running as fast as I can. He just outrun the chariot of the king. I'm running, I'm rowing, I'm trying. God shows up in your life. What are you doing? Oh, I'm trying. Good grief, stop trying. Why don't you start trusting? Instead of rowing, you are a sailboat. How foolish you would look to go out there in a catamaran, right? With some oars and just try to get that thing to go somewhere. But if you hoist your sails and you catch his presence, the wind, the spirit of his presence, you will be empowered to go where you need to go. And it's real hard to stay still when his wind's filling your sails. Go to the next slide. So I want to ask you something. You are wind-driven. You are filled with the Spirit. You are presence-driven. Presence and, and Spirit are cousins in the understanding of God's nature. And all the places that they are linked in the Scriptures, we don't have time to even begin to go there. But His presence is His Spirit. And you are driven. Everybody is driven by something. Some of you this morning are pressure driven. Let me just ask you. Uh, you can be honest. We're all friends here. How many of you feel pressure and stress driven in your life? Well, quite a few. Problem. Driven. Do you realize that most of our prayer life is fixed on the problem instead of the problem solver? He already knows the problem. Oh, God, did you know? So-and-so is ill. Or I can't get along with so-and-so. Or that person over there is a real pain. Or whatever it is, right? And you're telling God the problem. <laughs> he doesn't care. He doesn't care about your problems. He cares about you. For the Lord careth for you. Cast all your burdens on him. Cast all your problems on him. He cares for you, right? And here we are praying about something 
he's not even interested in. He cares for you. We are peer-driven. We are performance-driven. We are past-driven. How often do you begin a conversation with someone uh, and you're the conversation is rapidly turning into an argument or a conflict. And in order to get there, you have to bring up the past. Something they did or said or you did or said. You know, the tongue's of fire, right? You know, Pastor, I've found out over all these years that people are, putting, uh, are starting fires in the church all the time. And, and you're, you know, one of your jobs is to be a fireman. You're putting out these fires. Well, well, he really didn't mean to say that to you, or she really didn't mean to say that, or well, that was just a, a misspoken. No, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Of course they meant to say it. You know, whatever anybody says to me in counseling, you know, uh, Dr. Leary, I didn't mean to say that. I said, you're just a liar. <laughs> of course she meant to say it. Out of the heart, it was in you, and it wouldn't have come out of you if it wasn't in you. When we're supposed to be on fire and setting other people on fire with the fire of his spirit as church people, we're performance-driven, we're people-driven. You get the message here. Let's go to the next slide. So how do you become presence-driven? You have been given what most people call the disciplines. Oh, we hate those, that word, the discipline. And the word disciple and discipline, they're the same words. The disciplines of the Spirit. Richard Foster wrote a classic about 20 years, now maybe 30 years ago, called... The celebration of discipline where he went through about nine spiritual disciplines. If you want a great book to study sometime in a small group, Richard Foster's book on spiritual disciplines. Now, a spiritual discipline is prayer. A spiritual discipline is giving. A spiritual discipline is worship. I've listed some of the spiritual disciplines up here, which are the sales. So if, as you begin to discipline yourself in one of these areas of your Christian life, you're hoisting a sail. And the breath and the wind of God fills your worship and empowers the seed that you give to bring a 40, 60, 100-fold harvest. The disciplines are sails of his wind, of his breath. And the more the discipline is hoisted, the larger the sail, the greater the filling, and the more power that's there. Well, I just don't feel very powerful today. Oh, so... You haven't prayed yet, have you? Haven't been in the Word yet, have you? When was the last time you really gave something to somebody? Let's go to the next one. 
So in Exodus, we enter into one of the disciplines that's primary to being presence-driven and filled with his spirit. Now, worship is not a church service. It's a lifestyle. So the first breath you have is praise and worship every morning. The last breath you breathe before you fall asleep, I discipline myself to wake up and fall asleep praying the Jesus prayer. If you don't know what that is, go back and do some research on Google, which has been prayed by the church, by the way, since the third century and is prayed billions of times a day by Christians all over the world called the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, some of my friends say, well, why do you say the last part? Because it's true. I am a sinner. I stand in need of his grace, forgiveness, and mercy as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, right? As we are confessing our sins, he's forgiving us. As confession, repentance is a continual thing in our lives. And wow, it's just like being married to Judy. For years, I would wake up, and when she would wake up, and we were doing marriage seminars, and one of our lines in the marriage seminars, I would teach husbands, listen, guys, it's all about your wives, period. So if you want to have a good marriage relationship, here's what you do. When you wake up in the morning, you look at your wife and you say, honey, I love you. Please forgive me. I am the problem. Because I know sometime during the day, I am going to need her forgiveness for something. Right? And I, I believe in proactive confession. You know? So I got to, you know, I start the day off with a clean slate. Now, the reason I say I love you is because guys remember that a wife's meter, love meter, goes to zero every night. <laughs> and it's not good enough to say, well, I, listen, when we got married, I told you I loved you, and that should have been good enough. No, doesn't work that way, right? So we are in worship all the time. Now, the ancient Israelites, now I'm going to zoom through these. There's, there's, I, I don't know how much of this is printed uh, there that they have in front of them. This is just the big ideas, right? And so I want you to jot down the scripture that I'm referring to. But this is how the ancient Israelites worshipped. And this is the way we live life as worship. We are true worshipers. You know the passage from John. And too much worship today is present-driven. Oh, God, I'm coming to give you a present. What are you going to give me? It's an exchange of presents instead of presence-driven. Go to the next one. So Moses is teaching the people by example how to worship. 
So he goes to the tent of meeting because worship is simply being in a panim. You're going to see that word in a minute, a face-to-face relationship with God. And you are presence-driven. And Moses would meet with God face-to-face. Next slide. So in the midst of that, worship is encountering God. Worship is a presence-driven life. So this priest is in a tent pitching it to give these people a visual. The New Testament says your body is a what? A tent. So he was giving them a visual of what their life was all about. And the presence of God on Mount Sinai was (laughs) rushing down. Of course, they couldn't take it. When it was all over with, they said, Moses, you go up. We'll just stay down here. But let's go to the next one. Next slide. So when we encounter his presence, we're inquiring of the Lord and anyone seeking, asking, knocking, desiring to walk in his presence and commune with him would join the priest or the prophet, who Moses was, outside the camp. So they would all get up and join the worship leader. Go to the next one. And when that happened, uh, go to the next slide. When that happens, they encountered God's presence. When they got up from where they were, when they did what the worship leader was doing because he was presence-driven and they all were following the cloud, the Shekinah glory of his presence, the God's presence would descend upon them. God's glory would clothe them. There's a whole teaching. Remember Adam and Eve feeling naked in the garden? What was their clothing before the leaves? The glory of God. Thou didst create man, little lower than the angels, and crowned him or clothed him from here all the way to here with glory. And then when they sinned, no glory, just nakedness and shame. God speaks to and through the prophetic atmosphere of his presence. In worship, God wants the people to gather, not to hear preaching, but to be in his presence. Go to the next one. So we are encountering God's presence face-to-face as a living full-time, all the time. It is the chief end of man to worship and glorify God, the Westminster Presbyterian Confession. That's the chief end of man. Go to the next one. So there is power in his presence. Now, this is so important. Moses says to God, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. I mean, I'm just a man. I need some help here. He's confessing. I'm limited. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. And that's Shaddai, that's intimate knowledge. And that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. I'm not their leader, you are. Next slide. So God says, this is huge. And if we just stop the message here and you get this, we're done. Listen to this. He said, my presence, the Hebrew word is panim, which literally means face to face. 
which is the same statement that is made in Hebrews 12. If you will, what? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Fix, by the way, is an imperative verb. So you are to constantly, listen, if you're face-to-face with God, when I look at you, I'm looking at you through his presence. I don't see you. I see Christ's understanding of you. Everyone you look at, even the crotchety old oil man in McDonald's, has to be looked at through his presence because my eyes are on Jesus before they're ever on anybody else or anything else. Oh, God, what do you want me to do? Well, look at it through the eyes of Christ, right? What do you want me to do with my money? What do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do with my my work? What do you want me to do? Well, just look at it through his presence, and things get really clear. But no, you know, God, uh, I I think this, or in my opinion, Tim, I'm going to give you a million-dollar pastoral statement. When I was pastoring the four churches that, that I pastored over the years, people would, I know they don't do it in Lamb of God, but people would come up to me and they would go, Dr. Larry, um, we just came here from such and such a church. Or I just saw, now this was before the internet, but you know, I just heard on radio or I saw on television this being done or that being done, or this program, or that program, or whatever, right? They've got a great idea. Now, the ideas, but usually when they came to me with an opinion, they had an opinion about something that wasn't working quite right, and they wanted me to fix it. Anybody ever experienced that kind of thing? Right. And so uh, I would say, you know, I'm going to listen to your opinion. So the first Bible says what? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That has saved me a lot of grief in marriage, in parenting, in church, at work. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. So uh, they would come, Tim, and they would go, uh, whatever it was. And it was their opinion of the way things should be or how things should be fixed or yada, yada. And I would say, listen, I'm going to listen to you. Go ahead and just tell me what you need to tell me. I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm not going to do anything but listen to you and respect your opinion. And when they get done, they would usually say to me, well, what do you think? Like, what's your opinion? And that was my opening. (laughs) I would say, my dear brother, my dear sister, I want you to know that your opinion in this church just doesn't matter. And quite frankly, my opinion doesn't matter. The only opinion that matters here is God's opinion. Now, you go home and pray. You seek your heart. You seek the scriptures. And when whatever it is you think lines directly up with God's opinion, come back and we'll have a discussion. 
I, uh, sometimes people just left the church when I said that. I, I don't understand. Uh, so my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, do you notice that in the New King James Version, whenever there's an understood word, but the word isn't exactly in the Hebrew text, they put it in italics. So do you see that with you there? It's in italics because it's implied, but it's not said. Now, I hate to imply things. Let me translate this passage literally for you. My presence goes. You rest. Now, is that about as strong as it could be said? In other words, when I go, Jesus said this. Whatever the Father tells me to say, I say. Whatever the Father tells me to do, I do. So God is saying, when my wind's blowing, you don't have to do anything. Stop rowing. You're a sailboat. Rest. In other words, surrender your weaknesses for his power. Because all you are doing and trying is demonstrating to God and everybody around you how weak you are, how limited you are. But when you rest in him, his full power empowers everything that you think, do, and feel. And he said to him, Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Literally, if your presence doesn't go, we're stopped. Isn't that amazing? Are you presence-driven? Now, we are going to be done in seven minutes with the next four hours of this talk. So I'm going to give you a summary. And it's okay because, uh, listen, I've taught this over and over again. I've learned stuff all the time. I want you to see what the process is. So go to the next slide, and we're going to get the big things. The presence of God means face-to-face. -face. Know that presence births. God is a progenitor. Now, I don't know how many of you have used the word progenitor in the last year. <laughs> there you go. So generate ahead of time, right? He is the only creator. He is the only one who is able to create ex nihilo, out of nothing, right? So he is the creator. Listen, whenever God shows up, it is his nature to create, to birth, right? He shows up in a void, and the universe is birthed. We read that in the most important verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created. Without that verse, nothing else matters, right? It was God. He shows up to Abraham and Sarah and Isaac is birthed. He shows up to Hannah and Samuel is birthed. He shows up to Elizabeth and John the Baptist is birthed. He shows up to Mary and Jesus, the word of God, is birthed. He shows up at Pentecost and the church is birthed. He shows up in your life and you are birthed as a new creation. I had such a good time in Atlanta with my friend Clarence. We're not even going to get through. You're just going to have to stay for the second service. So I, sh I, sh was, in, I was with Clarence totally in Atlanta, Georgia, Clarence, totally.
good friend of mine in a business that we were in together. And Clarence is very black. I mean, real black. He'll tell you, I know I'm real black. <laughs> and I am real white. Now watch this. We're laughing. We're having a great time. We're talking about the Lord. The waitress comes over at the end to give us the check, and she says, I have never seen two guys like you guys laugh and have so much humor and joy and fun and so forth and so on. And I said, well, that's because we're twin brothers. <laughs> and she says, oh, I mean, that didn't throw her a bet. She says, you mean fraternal twins? I said, no, we're identical twins. <laughs> and we got the leader to Christ, tell her all about Jesus. <laughs> because we are identical twins. The DNA in us now is the DNA of Jesus Christ forever. Isn't that great? Uh, I, that's another rabbit trail. Okay, let's go up here. Uh, next slide. So here is the process. I'm just going to give you an overview of the process. And maybe, maybe in October I'll preach the rest of this, you know. Uh, come, come back in October, okay? So um, he's already invited me. I wasn't inviting myself. So... Presence births power. He is the God of all power. I have a psychiatrist friend who says, he's a Christian psychiatrist, he's in heaven now, but he says this, the most important part of therapy with a person is when they come to the realization that they're powerless to change. They're powerless to do what is right. They're powerless to do anything. And when they finally surrender all power to the one who is all power, then change can happen. Presence births power. And, of course, it says all over the place, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that baptism of power empowers all the gifts, empowers all the fruit, empowers life, empowers the universe. Go to the next one. Uh, I don't want to say anything about that now. Go to the next one. Power. Uh, here's one big point. Dunamis, the Greek word, means miracle-working power. We get dynamite or dynamo from dunamis, that kind of power. Now, power births passion. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Go to the next slide. So, presence births. What is it, birth? You fill in the blank. I want you to get this process. I just, just walk out of here and you just say it over and over again so you know what you're in every day. Presence births power. Power births passionate. Well, you're not passionate enough. Now, I want you to know that the word passion is only used once in the Greek in the New Testament. Every other, in a positive way. Every other time the word passion is used, it's called passion of the flesh. It's used in a negative way. The only time the word passion is used positively is the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That the passion that he births in you cannot begin or fill your life until you die. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. In other words, he only uses dead people. When you're dead, just like the insulation on a copper wire is dead to the electricity, and therefore you don't get electrocuted when you 
grab hold of the wire. Listen, I want to tell you something. You grab hold of the presence of God, you will burn. You will be set on fire. Everything in you will be burned up by the fire of the Spirit. And only when you're dead. So if there's a place in your life where you're really messing up bad, it just shows you that you haven't died to that yet. Because the fire starts inside you in the inner man. And it stoked the fire. You stoked the fire with the disciplines of the Spirit. And you stoked the fire. And as you die to yourself, because you die once, but you keep dying. And you die the whole rest of your life. And every time you die to something, you get passionate for God. Power, burst, passion. So go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Here we go. So, presence births what? Power births what? Everybody say right now, I want to die to myself. And the more you confess that, the more power you will have in your life. Then there's purpose. So, passion births purpose. Now, Great book, Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church. Everything in there is great stuff. But you don't start with purpose. It's got to be birthed in you. And the purpose that's birthed in you, it says to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. So purpose, go to the next one. This is great stuff. God's desire, the word purpose, kafetz in the Hebrew, means his wish. His will. Desire. Everybody say D. Sire. D is means of when you take the word apart, and sire means father. So the Bible says he gives you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean that the desire is there and he does it. It means that you need the desire from his presence to be placed in your heart. And when it's his desire, he'll do it. Oh, God, you're not doing what I, what I desire. Well, what you desire was birthed of you, one birthed of me. So, passion births purpose. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Ah, so let's look at the process. I'm almost going to make this, Tim. So, presence births what? Power. Power births. Passion births. Purpose births the plans. This is just one point. Whatever God does, he does abundantly. So, he gave Thomas Edison 6,000 plans to create the light bulb. And the only reason he got the 6,000th plan was after he failed the first time, God gave him a second. And after he failed 10 times, God gave him 11. And he does the same thing with you. And after you fail 100 times, if God is in it, the only way you can fail in his plan is to quit. Look at the person next to you and say, don't quit. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Plans birth a process. Here's the process. We hate it. 
Tribulation. It begins with tribulation and suffering and pain and all of that. The good life starts with tribulation. The world says, well, that's just not right. But they haven't died yet. Tribulation, right, in Romans 5, 1, worketh. I think the verse is up there. Go to the next slide. Yeah. Tribulation and suffering produces perseverance. Anybody in here an impatient person? Well, you're going you're to be stuck in your impatience until you just die. All right. Perseverance produces character. Character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. It's a process. So after your character is being formed in this process, go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Process. Here's what we want, but it takes a whole process to get there. Productivity and prosperity. I pray that you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Everybody wants prosperity. Very few people want the process of the presence-driven life to get there. I'm going to ask Pastor to come back up and, and close this out, but I just want to take a moment, and if you all would just play quietly on the keyboard or something uh, while uh, we pray. I'm going to ask some of you something, just one thing this morning. This really hit me as I was praying about the, the message this morning. That someone in this room, maybe many people, in this room you have a God idea a God plan maybe about work or business maybe about a, a personal goal losing weight that's not a bad plan to have make you, make you more healthy God has given you a God idea a God plan about your family God has given you an, a God idea about a relationship that needs to be healed. And the only reason it hasn't been empowered and you keep failing at it is because you have been tempted to quit, or you have. And God's saying to you when I'm in it, you can't fail unless you quit. I'm the driving force. I am the presence of your life. And so right now, I'd just like you to bow your heads for a moment. And I'm going to pray for you and with you. And then Pastor Tim is going to come and close. Heavenly Father, I want you to convict the hearts of those who need this prayer. And I just want you in a moment to just lift your hand and say, I, I, I want you Larry to, to pray for me because I know I have this, this plan from God and I know he's in it but I want to quit it may be a marriage it may be a relationship with a child you're just ready to give up but you know that God has willed this plan for you and you're so tired of trying and it's now time to start trusting the presence of God to empower you. If you need that kind of prayer, just raise your hand. Just put your hand up and put it back down again. 
Yeah, just put your hand up and back down again. Yeah. Almighty God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I invoke your power through your presence to fill, to fill by your spirit each person in this room and particularly those who are tempted to quit or who have given up that you might birth in them new purpose, new passion, new power, new process that they might experience your abundance and your prosperity. And I ask it in Jesus' name. This week, I'd like to ask you to take these notes. There's a lot of notes in there and scriptures. And I'd like to challenge you to go over those on your own, looking up the scriptures and just go through it and let God just continue to work this message into your heart. This is the core of us really being launched into the the purpose that God has for us as a spiritual family. We need to get this, you know, the the whole series that we've been talking about, about the presence of God, that's the only thing that will make a difference in your life and in the lives of those around us. We can't move on unless we get this. We have nothing to offer without Him in us. So this is the foundation of any impact or any change that will happen in us or through us you know and so would you take time this week to just really go over the notes read the scriptures let God speak to you and I think a verse that would be good for us to memorize would be Exodus 33 verse 14 and it says the Lord replied my presence will go with you and I will give you rest Exodus 33:14 The Lord replied, "My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." How I many you think that would be worth thinking about meditating on this week and begin to become a presence-driven person this week by repeating that verse over and over again. Hey, God's presence is with me, and I can rest. He's at work. I don't have to row. He's blowing, I'm sitting, right? I'm letting him lead my life. Lord, we just thank you for the the wonderful gift of this teaching through your spirit. We receive from you, Holy Spirit, your word, your direction, and your encouragement this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to write this word on our hearts this week and let us come alive in your presence. Let us stop rowing and let us receive... um, Let let us put the sails up in our lives. Let us get into your word, get into your worship, get into working for you and serving, just allowing you to move in our lives that we can truly blossom and be blessed. Thank you for for Dr. Larry and his wife. Thank you for this uh, ministry. We pray your blessings on him and his wife and his family this week too, Lord. Just bless them, encourage them for pouring into us. Thank you, Lord, and just, just continue to move through us. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Let's stand. Let me pray the blessing of the Lord upon us. And then uh, worship team is going to just sing a song. If you want to stay and just worship uh, another few minutes. But now uh, let me release you with the blessing of the Lord, okay? Now may the Lord bless you.
and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his rest, his prosperity, his healing, his freedom, his shalom in his name. Amen. Amen. Blessings. Let's just appreciate Pastor uh, or, or Dr. Larry here. How many of you appreciated that word this morning? And um, bless you. Let's uh, continue to walk in this, in this spirit this week. Amen.